0: Have you felt that before? Had something right there in front of you? It's like, I, it's right there. I can almost put my hand in it just a little further. Once I get that, I'll be happy. Once I have that thing, life will be good. Once that person comes into my life, all of my problems will disappear. This series that we're on, it's called the Chasing Carrots, The Endless Pursuit of... And each week we've been talking about a different topic. And this week we're diving into the area of comfort. Comfort. Our church, our generation, the way that Christianity is lived out in America, there's kind of this ingrained idea that if it's not comfortable, it must be wrong. That if it becomes difficult, there's something wrong with it, and so we need to find a new situation. If things at church get difficult, then you find a new church. If things in your marriage get difficult, then you find a new spouse. If there's a problem, rather than working through it, we run from it. We find ways to be comfortable. Kind of like, you know, a hashtag live my best life. Like we see that around society. Like it's about me and it's about making sure that I'm comfortable and everything else needs to fall into its place around me. And once that does, I'll finally, I'll be good at that point. But this concept of getting to the point where everything's comfortable, it's one of those things that we're never going to attain. And in fact, I don't even think it's necessarily part of God's plan us to get to the point where we would say, uh, I'm comfortable, everything is good, it's just the way it's supposed to be. I think God has something different for us rather than reaching that point where everything's comfortable. We're going to be looking at a couple of different passages today as we work through this topic and we work through God's instructions about comfort and difficulties and trials, those tough places in life. We're going to be looking through a couple different passages. If you have your Bible with you, you can open to 1 John chapter 2. That's where we're going to be looking at first and we'll, of course, project the words on the screen as I read them. Starting in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. This is a harsh way to start off a sermon. Don't run from it yet. Wait a little bit, and then you can run from it. Do not love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. This is the Apostle John. He's writing and he's speaking And you can hear echoes of the things that he heard from Jesus' sermon ringing out through here. You can almost hear the echo of of you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. You will love one and hate the other. And John is making this comparison that if your love is just towards the things of the world... And there's a place that's occupied in your heart that is supposed to belong to God. Because when we hear the word love, we often just think love the way that it's thrown around, like, like Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day cards and candies and simple love. He's writing here and he's talking about a deeper, truer love, an obligation, a belonging. And he describes this truth that if our love is towards the things of the world and what it offers us rather than God, then that that shows a void that is supposed to be in our life. And I compare this to like the beginnings of a relationship, like the beginning of our relationship with God. There's a love and a passion for seeking the things of God. It sometimes fades. It's like most things, actually, because as we get involved in something we're usually really passionate about at the beginning, but sometimes we can reach this place where we get comfortable and things kind of fade. I'll pick on marriage relationships for a minute. You know, it's kind of like, remember at the beginning of the relationship when ladies was like shaving the legs every single day? I mean, this isn't true in my marriage, but I've heard other marriages, like there was a time where the woman shaved their legs every single day and then it stopped suddenly, or, like going out to eat, it's like just gonna order the side salad and the water because I gotta stay trim and I'm gonna pick the croutons out because you know, don't want those carbs. And it's like these things that we do initially in the relationship that are different. Kind of once we get comfortable, things settle down and things change. Men, we're, we're just as bad, if not worse. It's like the beginning of the relationship, it's like we just can't get the letters of her name off of our mind. We've got to write poetry. We've got to go to the actual florist and buy her flowers. I'm not talking about like the Aldi checkout line flowers. I'm like the, the, the person who wraps them up and they're beautiful and we want to present her all kinds of gifts. And there's this drive inside of us because it's not just there's a relationship that we fell into, but it's like we're pursuing this relationship and we have a goal of being deeply in love. And then things kind of get comfortable and some of those things stop and they change. And some of that is healthy and maturing and some of that we need to reignite. And it's true in so many things that we pursue as people. It's like we have this purpose at the beginning that we want to move to this position But then we just kind of get comfortable in where it's at, and we stay in this cycle of not really moving forward, not really moving backwards, kind of lukewarm is the word that the Bible likes to use for that position. And within Christianity, there is this occurrence where we allow things of the world to begin to occupy a place in our heart and in our mind that should belong to God. And the way that John describes that as falling in love with the world, giving the world priorities and the things that it has to offer, giving it the place that God is supposed to hold in our life. And I've told you before, when I describe this, I'm not talking about like missing a Sunday. Like there will be times where I miss a Sunday. Like, but wherever I am, God will still be in the first place. Worshiping God will always be part of my Sunday. It's not about whether you're here. It's about where your priorities are. Where is your first love? And are your actions backing that up? Is your love God's or is it belonging to other things? Because there's a truth, as verse 16 continues on to say, there's a craving that's inside of us. Verse 16 says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Now, I want to point out that this verse, it describes this craving that we have all felt. It's like, if I just had this thing, I rode in my friend's new car, and now I desperately need a new car. And and you know what the credit card companies have taught me is I deserve it. It's not just that I should have it. It's that I I deserve that comfort. I deserve that food. I mean, comfort is so... So connected to these things that we have relabeled a food group as comfort foods, right? I deserve these comforts. I should have them. Even if I can't afford them, I should have them, and so I'm going to get them for myself. And there's this craving that's there, and the, ver- the verse identifies that there's a craving, but there's not a fulfillment. There's an endless pursuit, and this is true with our comforts. Because when you ask someone who has a lot of money, how much money do you need? Their answer is, Just a little bit more. A little bit more. It's an endless pursuit, and it happens within this realm of us getting comfortable in the way that we live our life. And I want to suggest to you today that it's okay to be uncomfortable. It might actually be good for you to be uncomfortable in some things. There's things that we're comfortable with that we should not be comfortable with. And in fact, this whole concept of being comfortable and fulfilled by world, worldly things, it's actually a counterfeit comfort. It's one that doesn't last. It's here one second, and then it's gone. It's, it's replaced by the newest, biggest thing. Oh, I got a great phone. It's the newest phone. Next year, my phone is garbage. I need a new one. They have an Apple iPhone X7B, and I've got to have it. The things that we think Oh, this will make me happy. They quickly fade out. It's this counterfeit thing that, that isn't going isn't to satisfy. Verse 17 describes it this way and says, And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what God pleases will live forever. And this ties into the fact that, that the way that we live is intimately connected to our relationship with God. And I, I want to make sure we hit this correctly because the verse is half of the equation. You've heard time and time again that we have salvation through grace alone, salvation through faith alone, that we couldn't earn it. But the fact is when we authentically believe and we place our trust in Christ, it leads to actions. It leads to changes in the way that we live. And this is honestly for you and for other people. Because anyone who's human has probably struggled with the the question of, do I know that I have a relationship with Christ? Do I know that when I die, I don't have to fear separation from God? Each one of us has has asked this question, and one of the answers that God has given you to that question is, look at your life. When you made the statement where, where, as Romans tells us, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and the God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. When you made that decision, when you said, I believe in you, did you start to give me your life? Or were you paying lip service? And John is describing that, that, that half of it, that action half of it, that, that anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And there is this opposition. These two things are almost in the different directions. That this world, it's fading away with, with everything that people crave. There's these cravings that we naturally have, this draw towards trying to be fulfilled by things the world offers, And then on the other side of it, there's this action of living for God. And I want to identify the tension and the difficulty that exists between those two places. If if you're living in reality, it's not easy to choose doing what God wants you to do. There's a struggle, there's a fight, there's seasons where it's like we're doing well, and there's seasons where we're not doing well, and there's seasons where we just get comfortable and we stay right where we are. And I want to tell you, and I hope that this comes as good news or encouragement. If you're in the middle of a fight in your marriage, if you're in the middle of a struggle in your family, if you're in the middle of a loss or in the middle of difficulty at work and you feel like you are in a struggle and your faith is getting tested, I want to tell you, that's a good place to be. The more difficult place to be, the more dangerous place to be in your faith is the place where you say, I'm just comfortable and everything's fine and it's not really that hard and I'm just kind of of doing life that's the more dangerous place i'd say scripturally from what we're going to see and so as we get into this and we're looking okay there's this draw towards just doing things the way that the world does and just fulfilling whatever desires the world has versus living for god the first thing that i want to encourage you the these this comfort that we draw from the world from 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 things it's it's a false it's a counterfeit comfort and we know that because it doesn't last. It isn't real. I remember there was a night, I, I hope you can deal with this okay, I was having a, a cruddy day. Uh, that's the best way for me to say it with a microphone on it. it. It was a cruddy day. It was a bad day. And I mean, we had our family, we're going to feed all of our kids in our minivan while we were driving somewhere because we were busy and that way they can just be strapped in and still and eating. And we're going through the fast food drive through and I see the picture of the milkshake and I'm like, I think that milkshake might make me happy. And so I ordered a milkshake, which is abnormal for me just because I don't like them that much. They're cold, and I don't like cold. And so I'm I'm drinking the milkshake, and I literally said out out loud to my wife, I said, that didn't make me nearly as happy as I thought it would. I I get the realization that anything from as simple as a milkshake to, to many other things, we try to use them to make us happy. But it's just this counterfeit, fill the void for a moment, used and then gone and still needing this counterfeit comfort. And we need to stop pursuing these counterfeit comforts. We need to start pursuing something better. And so the the first thing that I want to give you encouragement and permission to do is stop pursuing counterfeit comforts. Stop pursuing those things. Those aren't going to fix the situation. They aren't going to help you. They're not really going to keep you satisfied. This world and the things of it, they're fading away, but there's a way that we can live that will be much better for us. And there's a source of comfort that we should pursue. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 describes the source of comfort this way. And it starts off, and it's the Apostle Paul, and he is just like having a praise break. Like, he's like, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and our source of all comfort. Now listen to this, because there's some, some things within this that it, it gets deep fast, and I want you to catch them. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Now, this is the interesting thing, because if you were bought into the idea that if you have a relationship with God, everything is just going to be easy peasy, um, everyone's going to act the right way now, because I got myself right with God, you might be struggling with life, (laughs) You might be struggling with expectations not meeting reality, because what this passage describes is someone who's following God and is, and is still experiencing struggle, is still experiencing the need for comfort. But that comfort through those situations, it's describing, it comes from God. It's not saying we get to escape trouble. It says while you're walking through trouble, God himself is going to comfort you with a comfort that is so powerful that it's going to fill you up and then it's going to move to the people around you. And as you see people walking through what you're walking through, you're not going to just be able to say, oh, I went through that through as well. You're going to have comfort that you can then share with them. And this is part of God's plan for you, that as you walk through struggles, you would experience His goodness in such a personal way that you are able to then share that with other people around you. It's like God is going to take the the, the thing that you wish you didn't have, and He's He's going to heal you in that moment, and He's going to use you to heal someone else. This, once again, has echoes of Paul's statements that we're ambassadors of Christ, making this plea on God's behalf, that God is going to use his people and his church in cities to make a difference. God is not going to make you escape trouble, but he's going to take you through it for a purpose, a purpose that benefits you and a purpose that benefits other people, a purpose that builds up your faith. There's a comfort that comes from God, and it's based on this connection and this relationship with Him. And this is experienced by people who don't just check in and out of church, but this is experienced by people, and I want this to be experienced by you, who are engaging in worship with God, in conversation with God on a daily basis. This is engaged by people, you know, I, I could use the church term that you experience God's comfort when you get yourself right with God, but what does that mean? That means, first, I've approached Him on His terms. Because you don't get to tell God the way it's gonna work. And that, that, you know, we kind of chuckle at that, but it's true. So many times we tell God, okay, this is what you get from me. That's not how he works. He sets the standard. Getting yourself right with God is approaching him on his terms, is seeing the world the way that he says it is. Because he doesn't fail, he doesn't make mistakes. Beginning to see the relationships that are around me and the way that I interact with people. I'm going to do things His way. I'm going to live, as the first verse says, in a way that pleases God. Then my actions begin to change. When I live according to the way that God is calling me to live, that's when I experience His comfort and His presence. It's all intimately connected to to the statement of having a relationship with God. That God wants to know you personally and wants you to know Him personally. That your grandmother, she can't make you a Christian. The people around you who love you, they can't force you into a relationship with God. God has given you an invitation that you will choose to respond to or you will choose to ignore. And when you choose to respond to him, that's when you begin to experience these things. As you walk with him, it's like, man, I should have lost my cool. I should have freaked out. But there was something within me where I could just tell God was with me through it and comforting me through the situation and through the unknown and through the fear. And so I know it's going to be okay. And then I can take that, that experience and I can pour that out to the other people around, around me because God is going to allow you to walk through trouble. And it's not that every trouble and difficulty and trial and struggle that comes into your life, it's not that it's all from God, but it's true that he can use any of them. He can use any of them to build your faith. He can use any of them to build a testimony of what he will do through his people. Anything that has happened in your life, God can redeem and use for his glory. And so when we find ourselves in trouble, when we find ourselves in an uncomfortable situation, when we don't have the house or the marriage or the life that we were anticipating having at this age or at this spot in our life, it's okay to be in the middle of that struggle. What's not okay is to try to run from the struggle and find an easier, more comfortable situation because God actually wants to walk us through those things, which is the second thing that I want to encourage you on is that we need to choose to embrace the divine discomfort. God might have you in a situation that is legitimately hard right now. It might be a rough spot. But God, I believe, will walk you through that uncomfortable situation. I believe he has a story that he wants to write through what's going on. James chapter 1 describes going through troubles like this. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, troubles of any kind come your way, consider it An opportunity for great joy. What? (laughs) It's trouble. I I mean, like he's messing with our mind here, but he's trying to to change the perspective that this is challenging. This is rough, but this can be a moment for great joy because God is going to do something through this. Through the perseverance that I choose to have, through the way that I address this, the way that I lean into this tough conversation that I would like to avoid, this is an opportunity for God to glorify Himself. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Verse 3 For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. There's a truth of growth that will happen in us, but as we hear the word faith is tested, we usually think of Scantron tests and academic testing. This is more like testing of silver. That's kind of the word that's parallel in the way that that word testing is used in the Greek. It's the word that was used for testing silver, bringing it to about 1,764 degrees to where it starts to melt and the impurities bubble up to the surface so that they can be scraped away from what is pure. The testing of your faith, the moments where it feels like it is 1,654 degrees in the room, the moments that we wish we didn't have to go through, but we find themselves in, so we can't run from them anymore. It's uncomfortable. But in that moment, God is purifying us. God is growing us. He's giving ourselves our endurance and opportunity to grow. But some of us, we have the natural compulsion that we want to run from that moment Jeremiah it actually in verse chap in chapter 6 verse 29 and 30 it describes this moment in the old testament the nation of Israel they had a relationship with God where they were supposed to keep his covenant as a nation and as they followed God, they were going to experience blessing and abundance. But as they departed Him and began to, to worship it, the, the different religions of the time, like Baal, where they were known for child sacrifice, and there's so many other despicable things that are part of it that I'm not going to rabbit trail too far into. But as they strayed and they got into these things that, that were disastrous for them as a nation, God said, I will bring judgment against you to show you you've strayed and remind you of where you're supposed to go. And so you can choose when you see that to come back to me and I will rescue you. And many times in the Old Testament, God did. Many times as well, they would choose, well, we're just going to do this our way. And they reap the consequences. In Jeremiah 6, he uses this illustration of silver, of comparing God's people. And in verse 29, he says, the bellows, the thing that, that drives the air into the, the furnace, the bellows fiercely fan the flames to burn out the corruption. But it does not purify them, God's people, for the wickedness remains. He says, I will label them rejected silver, for I, the Lord, am discarding them. And it describes a situation where God's people went into the furnace, they went into the difficult time, but they chose, and this is where the illustration breaks down, because silver doesn't choose, but people do. They chose to remain in their ways. And I want to tell you, trials, difficulties, uncomfortable situations that we find ourselves in, we can choose to make that process nothing but pain by not growing from it, by not honoring God in it. We can choose to retreat in the way that we live, try to get back to what is uncomfortable. And God says, I will allow you, I will allow you to choose. You can run from me. You can stay in this spot or you can be purified and you can move through it. You can have these things removed from you. But there is an element of choice that is involved. And so I don't want you to look at your situation and be like, well, you know, life sucks right now and Paul said, if it sucks right now, it's really good for us and so things are really good. No, it can be good. It can be good. The way that you choose to proceed from these moments forward will determine whether this experience was just pain or if it was growth. But you will have to choose. These situations, some of them are our fault. Some of them are other people's decisions. Some of them just happen. But we are caught in these situations where it's a struggle, and then we will choose whether or not we will grow and live from this. I mean, that, that passage, it's almost it's from the Old Testament, but it's reminiscent of in Revelations where God describes God people. And he says, man, I wish in your faith you were hot and you were on fire for me. I wish you were frozen cold, but you're right here lukewarm in the middle and I am about to spit you out. I have no room for lukewarm. You're either with me and you are mine and I am yours. There's no middle ground. Like I said, we come to God on his standard." We don't get to tell him what the standards are so even moving that to to, to the place you found yourself in right now to the way your life is going if you're in the middle of the struggle what will you choose to do are we going to retreat back to what is comfortable and what has been normal in our faith are we willing to step out and trust god a little bit more live a little bit more because there are better things ahead God promises for those who live for him, for those who are his, he has great things ahead of them. Romans 8 describes our present tr- troubles and what's to come this way. In verse 18, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, Now, this is interesting because the Apostle Paul, his struggles were huge. The way that he was persecuted was beyond anything that we will experience in our life. He he experienced loss. He experienced physical suffering. He experienced torture and torment. He was eventually put to death for his faith in Christ. He walked through it. But he said, all of this loss that I've experienced, none of it is even comparable to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And I'll tell you what, I believe it's fair to say that heavenly what's going to be revealed in us, but also the glory that's going to happen here. Because as we live for Christ on earth, as we choose to honor him in the way that we live our weekly life, there is glory that's going to be on display just through our life. Because as a new Christian, you're going to see, God is doing changes in me. Like, I can't believe the way that he's changed the desires that were in my heart and my mind. And other people are going to see that, and they're going to be like, man, something's going on there. And they're going to glorify your heavenly, heavenly Father because they see the good deeds that are at work in you. There will be incomparable glories going on on earth, as well as the rewards that Scripture describes that will be in heaven. And when we see those two things, we will say all of the suffering, they're not even comparable to how amazing this is that God's given me. Because when we begin to live His way, I believe it transforms our heart, our life, our family, our future, in ways that if that was the only blessing we ever experienced, it would be enough. But it's not even the beginning of the blessings of what God promises His children. There are great, great things ahead. But there are decisions that need to be made because just even like you know, my, the milkshake that I thought would fix my problems for the day, um, you know so many, so, so many things of the way that we live our life, it's like we, we can choose a comfort that, that comforts us right now but brings pain later. Like I, I can eat all the fried food and try to make my day better and it's one thing if I do that one day, but if I do that day after day after day, we understand what the results are to our body if we just fill ourselves with junk. But, on the, but the results are immediate. It's like I immediately feel better for a little bit, but then I feel terrible again. But the things that we have to do to get healthy, they're often kind of in opposition. Like I'll, I'll use squats as an example, not what you get from eating fried food, but the exercise that you do when you put a bar on your shoulders and, and you, you lift heavy weight. You start to exercise, you start to make healthy decisions, and the changes are not immediate. You can do it one day and it has no change, but you spend a year working out every day. The changes will be huge, but the, the payoff is later. And I want to just note, like, put on note that there's that truth that positive changes, you often don't see the, the effects of them quickly. And there has to be this understanding that it's going to come around eventually. That, that I may not see the results right now, but I understand it'll make a difference. And this gets into strength and meekness and, and the ability to say, you know what? I'm strong enough and I'm loud enough to get my, ray, get my way in my family right now but I'm going to choose to serve others. And you may not see the results of it right there, but you invest in that kind of lifestyle day after day. You look at your family a year from now, and you will see your kids showing the same behaviors and choices that you have chosen. And the way that we live our life before God, there there are things and there are choices that no one on earth will ever know about or celebrate, but your heavenly Father celebrates, and there is reward in heaven for those. But this gets down to the faith of choosing, the faith of choosing the way that we live, realizing that there is a justice and a reward that we don't see on earth, that the results take time, but the results will come, that we trust God's word above even the feeling that we have in the moment. 1 Corinthians 2.9 describes it this way, and it says, this is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. God has something amazing for you that I believe will be part of this life, but is even larger in what is to come. And so the third kind of thought that I want for you guys is that embrace that this is not your best life. Your best life is promised in heaven. And this isn't something to go comment on someone else's hashtag. This isn't some corny thing for you to go make on someone else's statement. But this is your realization that my life is not just about this life. And if I live according to God's standard and I don't see the results that I think I should come, I'm going to continue to live in faith because I trust that God has better things in store for me. And if you guys will make your way up onto the stage, I'm going to begin to wrap this thing up. You know, I, um, I, I'm not a super emotional guy uh, and uh, hopefully I'm pretty relaxed. I think I'm pretty relaxed about most things as, you, as I've got to talk with many of you guys. Um, I was talking with one of the guys at our church this week, and, you know, he's just walking through some stuff that's going on, and, and it's been difficult, and um, I, I hang out with lots of different people. I grew up on a, a fishing boat, and, you know, people use profanity all the time, and, and it's something that's part of his normal dialogue, but never bothered me. Um, that's, be, you know, that, that's something, but as he was talking, he, you know, a profanity came out, and for the first time, he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, I went to you apologize to me about that? You don't have to apologize to me about that. And he said, well, it's just something that I'm working on. It's not about you, it's about me. In so many places, it's like to, to admit a struggle in front of a pastor, it's just so, so frowned upon. But like in my heart and in my mind, like I had to like hold back like the emotion and the joy because there is something beautiful when someone chooses to step into the struggle says, I, I've been comfortable living this way, but like, this isn't okay anymore, and so I'm gonna begin to make changes, and so I, it's not about you, but it's about me, and it's something that God's doing. And, and like, I wanted to freak out, because it's so awesome. But why am I freaking out? I'm freaking out because he's engaging in a fight, and so many Christians in America, we just wanna live, and we wanna stay comfortable, and wanna do the things we've done, and what the people around us have done, and we don't want to progress, and progressing feels like fighting. And if we're gonna embrace this divine discomfort, if we're gonna move away from the idea of just, just live your best life and worry about you, if we're gonna chase after what God has for us, we have to be comfortable saying, it's okay to be uncomfortable. We have to look at our lives and our families and say there's some of this that needs to change, so there's some of me that needs to change. Because the reality is, we are our God's hands and feet in this world. I was talking with another friend uh, this week who has a ministry that's overseas, and and we as a church are beginning to look and dream and pray about where we want to have a long-term partnership, where we can go and we can change part of a city, and we want to adopt some neighborhoods, and we want to see change in an impoverished place, and he's been doing that because he went on a trip with his his youth group when he was a youth pastor, and he saw poverty in a garbage dump that he had never seen before. I mean, he, he saw parents who were selling their children on a daily basis to get a better pick of the garbage that was being dumped. And it broke his heart. And he was doing what he could to rescue these kids from these situations. And, And he saw children who were dying of AIDS because of things like this, because of what their parents were doing, trying to keep them fed. And he said, there has to be better answers. The easy thing for him to do as he was telling me the story is be like, man, just run back to your comfortable job your comfortable chair, your comfortable house in America, and put those people in that terrible situation behind you. But when the Spirit of God is in your life, when you've said yes to Him, and you've said yes to a mission and a striving, you have to look at the things that are in front of you and say, God is able to do something. And these impoverished areas around the world, we can't fix everything, but we can do something, so we're going to do something. In these areas where my family is broken, I may be, not be able to fix everything, but I can begin to do something. In these areas of my life and how I live for God, I can't fix everything today, but I can begin to do something. And I will not believe that the Spirit of God has just called us to live a comfortable life where all of our energy, our time, our money has just spent on our comfort. I do not believe it's biblical, I don't think it's practical, and I don't think it will ever fill you up. But the most joy that I've seen in someone's eyes is when they are living with a fire and a passion for the kingdom of God, no matter what it costs them. So that's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for our family. So I believe that God is asking you to take a step, but I don't think it's a step onto an airplane. I think it's a step into that fire, into that refining process. God, what do I need to do? Where do I need to change? Where do I need to no longer be comfortable in how I live my life? As I, and as you do that, as I do that, I believe that's when we get to see this picture of the kingdom of God at work on earth. Pretty. Father, I thank you for the struggles. I thank you for these opportunities that we can react to with joy, even though it's difficult, even though it's heart-wrenching and heartbreaking. I thank you that we can see your power on display. And I thank you that as you comfort us, we get to be a source of comfort for someone else who's walking through that situation. So Father, make this that kind of church where it's okay to have the struggle, where we we work with each other and for each other, that we work not just for our city, but for cities across the world. Continue to move in our heart. And we'll stop chasing the comforts of this world start chasing the calling of your kingdom. In Jesus' name.